Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I am your host, Kane Pittman, here with my good friend Justin Garcia today on a Wednesday as we continue this week looking back at the 2001 Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, if you've missed any of it so far, you can start on Monday with Frank and myself. Uh, we had a viewer, a listener question, not a viewer question, a listener question asking us to uh, discuss who we thought would win a seven-game series between this 2001 squad and the 2020 Bucks. We went through that. On Tuesday, I caught up with Michael Hunt, who was the beat reporter at the time for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. We went through uh, what that season was like, being on the beat and having the access that he did, uh, and then right through the playoffs to then discussing the fallout and what went wrong with this Bucks team and why uh, they weren't able to follow through and have the success that many people thought they were going to have uh, at that time. And, and we also touched on the Ray Allen trade, Michael Hunt was uh, involved there and covering the team and traveled to Seattle to, to talk to Ray straight after the trade. So it was an interesting chat. So if you want to go back to that one uh, and catch up on everything there, it's been a fun week so far. But Justin, I guess we should start with you and what you remember, I guess, uh, overall of the 2001 season. Where were you at the time? And, and what do you remember, I guess, before we touch on the specifics of, of the season overall? Uh, I was here. I was a freshman in college that year, and uh, I remember, you know, that spring and summer back home from school, uh, it was an event to watch the Bucks and getting together with my friends and watching that run throughout the playoffs, the first round series against the Magic, where Tracy McGrady had those words for Glenn Robinson and the Bucks dispatched of them. Um, you know, that second round series against the Hornets, I vividly remember the way that series went. And, you know, as we'll get into the Philadelphia series, I'm sure everybody that followed that team as, as closely as uh, you and I are about to talk about, um, and I think we'll align on this too, game five just still haunts me to this day, especially Glenn Robinson in terms of the Bucks, was my all-time favorite player. And, you know, I recently, probably about a month ago, rewatched probably five of these games from this series for one of the radio shows that we did. And I went back to watch game five. And, you know, I remember the overall synopsis of what happened in that game. But then when I, when I rewatched it again and saw that final minute of the game and seeing, oh, man, that, uh, that baseline jumper was a lot closer than I remember it being. It just broke my heart even more because that was essentially the series. So that's basically what we're going to get to today. We, we haven't gone into detail of that, that Sixers series to this point. So that's the plan today. Uh, but uh, as I've mentioned a couple of times uh, through, the, through this week so far, uh, they were in many respects, I, I don't want to say lucky, but almost on the way out in that series against Charlotte. So in some respects, fortunate to get through to this Philadelphia series. And uh, there was a lot that went on uh, in that series against the Hornets. Game six, the Bucks had their backs up against the wall, down 15 early in that one on the road. They were able to pull out that win. But even Game 7, 
uh, down 58 to 51 uh, in the third quarter there in a game seven where you're fighting for your season. Obviously, uh, the, the Charlotte series was a memorable one as well. And uh, the Bucks really had to scrap uh, to, to fight their way through and, and get to this series against Philadelphia, uh, who were also in a battle of their own against the Raptors that went seven games as well. So both teams uh, came into this series uh, with a, a few miles on their legs. Let's just say that. Well, I remember uh, being very pessimistic after game five and assumed, oh my God, they're going to lose the series to the Hornets when we all envisioned, hey, this team can get to the finals. Uh, game seven, like you mentioned, was very much in question. I just remember uh, what from maybe close to the second half of the third quarter on where they dominated and that Glenn Robinson three quarter yeah. half court shot essentially that he hit at the buzzer where you kind of knew, okay, they're winning this game. Um, and watching, I, I think it was the next day when there was game seven between the Sixers and the Raptors and everything that was wrapped around Vince Carter going back to graduate and then coming back the day of the game and watching that game and hoping I don't want to play on Iverson and the Sixers. You want home court advantage and seeing how close that came and that Vince Carter shot at the end that didn't fall. Uh, you know, I never, I, I still believed that the Bucks were going to beat the Sixers having watched that Philadelphia team all season long, but that, you know, seeing, okay, they don't have home court advantage was certainly a big setback. Yeah, this Philadelphia team, uh, you know, when you go back and watch this game, it, it's remarkable that you have Alan Iverson, who obviously was an MVP this season, but it was a one-man show. I mean, they had him. Uh, the, obviously, Dikembe Mutombo was still a defensive force, but he wasn't bringing a huge amount to the offense. That guys like Aaron McKee, Eric Snow, Raja Bell sort of played a role. He certainly did in Game 7 in this series, but... Yeah. This was, uh, I mean, this was the, almost the definition of a one-man show. It was Allen Iverson or, or, or nothing. And Tyrone Hill, too, another yeah. former yeah. that had some big moments in Game 5, too, that I remember. Um, I don't know if it's more validating or even more frustrating, but going back and watching those games from that series, and now uh, you've seen a lot of national guys kind of do the same in this boredom of re-watching old sports and seeing – more and more people with the take of, you know, the wrong team really won that series. It's, I, I don't know if that should make us feel better or just make us even more infuriated. Sports have come to a screeching halt with basketball benched and pitches off the bound, but our friends at MyBookie aren't going to let you down. Stay sane and stay entertained with access to your favorite games like blackjack, roulette, slots, war, and more. It doesn't matter whether you're on the front lines or quarantined at home. The fun doesn't have to come to an end with MyBookie. They've got you covered with a host of live casino dealers online. That's right. They have professional dealers at their tables, live on site, 24-7. You can trust the industry leaders in times like these. They're reliable, upright, and best of all, they pay fast when you win. Visit MyBookie.ag and use promo code LOCKEDONNBA for a 150% bonus on your first casino deposit. That's promo code LOCKEDONNBA to receive a 150% bonus cash bonus on your first deposit and you can claim those extra funds all the way up to 750 bucks use promo code locked on nba to activate the offer that's promo code locked on nba you spin you win you get paid so game five uh, it's interesting at this point obviously the series is tied 2-2 and and this is uh Definitively the game that swung the series. Uh, the Bucks ultimately go down 89 to 88. And you already pointed to it. 
the the shot that everyone remembers, Glenn Robertson on the left baseline, had the ball. He had Aaron McKee uh, on his back, spun towards the basket. McKee went to strip the ball, and he sort of overcommitted, and that allowed Robertson to to step into this a wide, wide, wide open shot. I mean, he couldn't have been any more open. It was funny uh, talking with Michael Hunt yesterday. Uh, he sort of said that George Carl said that he thought he was too open, and that's certainly a possibility. But he misses the shot, and and the Bucks go down. Uh, but you know, watching this game, there was significant moments through the fourth quarter that stand out to me that I was reminded of when I was watching this game back. And the pivotal stretch uh, for mine was uh, it came with around four or five minutes left in the game. Tim Thomas had the ball. Uh, in the lane, Allen Iverson was on his back. And Iverson, obviously, is not going to be able to defend Tim Thomas. It was about a six-footer that Thomas turned around. He missed. Eric Snow went down the other end uh, and scored to make it 82-80. So that, that Thomas jumper would have given the Bucks a six-point lead at the time. Uh, the next possession, Ray Allen turns the ball over. Then Tim Thomas is called for a flagrant. On, on the next play on Tyrone Hill. And we can get into the, the foul disparity and, and the flagrant foul disparity a little bit later on. Uh, but from, from these possessions, uh, the Sixers shoot the free throws and then they get the ball on the side out. And McKee misses a shot, gets his own rebound, then is fouled on the layup that he makes. And Irvin Johnson is fouled out of the game. And all of a sudden, you have a situation where the Bucs looked like they were potentially about to take a six-point lead, or they should have taken a six-point lead, and now they're down three points. Yeah, it, it's uh, <clears throat> game five is a tough rewatch for, for any Bucks fan. And um, the Eric's know that, you know, we talk about Philadelphia being a one-man series, but or one-man team. Uh, Eric's know, I remember a cu- at least two big jumpers that he hit in this series where it or in this game where it seemed like game five was really where it was somebody besides Allen Iverson that made a huge impact. And really the Kembe Mutombo too had a big impact on this series, but just wasn't in terms of point production. But game five was big for Eric Snow. Yeah, it was. He hit a long two uh, just after this. It was around uh, with a minute to go. I, I believe that gave the Sixers the 89-86 lead at the time. Uh, we talk about the the calls in this game, and, and there's one that, uh, for me, I, I watched it a bunch of times again, and I, I still cannot figure it out. Uh, they called a moving screen on uh, on Caffey right on the baseline. Uh, he he was not moving. I mean, there's there's like, it, it couldn't have not could not have been a more perfect screen. Unfortunately, this comes in the last minute when the Bucks are only down one at the time, and then the Sixers go down the other end, and Snow hits that jumper to give them a three point lead. Uh, it, it is hard not to watch this game again. And, and I've already mentioned the flagrant foul on Tim Thomas, which, you know, at, at game speed, it looks like it would be hard for him to do anything different. I mean, he, right. he, he, he jumped up relatively straight. It was a hard foul. There's no question about that. Uh, on the broadcast, when you watch it back, uh, there was no uh, replay. So, I mean, you didn't get to see any slow-mo version of that from certainly from, from what I was watching on YouTube. but you know, when you put those two calls, and there was a bunch of them right through the series, but those two calls in particular together in a game that was decided by one point, I, I just, you know, as I, as I watch this back again, the opportunity is always going to be the, the big dog jump shot. But geez, there were so many moments in this game that you look back and, and think that those were the ones uh, that, you, that you live to regret. Yeah, and uh, this was the game too, game five, wasn't it, where Jason Caffey hit that 
jump shot from the free throw line. Yeah, the when I think fade. it was a and then, you know, you're watching it again and thinking, why the hell is Jason Caffey shooting this? And it just hits the bottom of the net. We're, oh, wow. But you, you look at his numbers, too, and it's he's easy to forget about in this series because we knew about Irvin Johnson and then, of course, uh, Scott Williams getting the attention. And I think Bucks fans, in terms of those cult guys that the fans loved, it was Mark Pope and Darvin Ham that you forget about Jason Caffey. And while granted the production wasn't the greatest, he played in all seven games in this series and really um, essentially played equal minutes to Scott Williams. And I know Scott Williams didn't play in one of those games, but still he was used quite a bit. Yeah, that, that shot from Caffey was unbelievable. Uh, when I, I'd forgotten about that, and when I watched it, I just started laughing. It was, it was an incredible shot to, to not only make, but to even take that uh, in that situation in the game. Uh, it was interesting, though, because uh, to that point, uh, just prior to this, sorry, Tim Thomas had a put-back basket uh, to keep the Bucks, uh, you know, scoreboard ticking over when they, weren't, uh, when they were struggling to score. But prior to the Thomas put-back and then that Caffey jump shot that you talk about, uh, Robertson, Ray Allen, and Sam Cassell had scored all 33 of the Bucks' points in the second half. And this was really the story of this team. It was those three guys that did all the scoring uh, Robinson finished with 22 points. Ray Allen had 20 and Sam Cassell 18 in this one. But uh, ultimately, the Bucks went down. And then they set up uh, this game six that I know, uh, or I can I can be, feel fairly certain that most of the listeners have watched, uh, if not recently on Fox Sports Wisconsin, but over the years. It was uh, a very memorable game uh, that the Bucks really started well. But the controversy came early in this one. And the Scott Williams foul... Uh, on Allen Iverson, the flagrant foul where Iverson is driving to the basket and, and Williams uh, tries to slide over. And look, he throws an elbow. I mean, there's, there's, no, I mean, there's, there's no dispute in it. Catches Iverson uh, with a, a, a decent blow, gets called for the flagrant, stays in the game. Uh, but, uh, you know, in the end, we, we'll, we'll discuss what happened after that. But uh, this was, little did we know at the time how big that that foul was going to be moving forward. This game is, uh, I talked about game five being a tough rewatch. This one's a tough rewatch for me too because it, it basically encapsulates the series where I think the Bucks had a 30-point lead or close to that at halftime. It was a yeah. huge second quarter, and it was, it was basically all Ray Allen. And then you reach halftime and you know, okay, we're forcing a game seven. And then every single Bucks fan, I think, will admit this. When you saw the fourth quarter and how it played out, and Allen Iverson scoring, what, 26, I think, in that quarter. Um, you got the feeling in the bottom of your stomach of ugh, Philadelphia is going to win game seven. The, the Scott Williams thing, um, like you said, look, it was a flagrant foul, but he wasn't called for a flagrant in the game and was still suspended. Yeah, so, so the problem with this and, and why it's so hard uh, to stomach is the fact that it, it came – after the fact and you know if you're a, a Milwaukee fan who who feels that the NBA wanted Philadelphia in in the finals then this was a significant blow because we already speak about the big three with the Bucks team with Cassell Robertson and Ray Allen outside of that they had a bunch of role players but that bunch of role players that fit really well uh, Irvin Johnson had a, a huge impact on the series against Charlotte and was playing really well uh, in that series against Philadelphia. No, he doesn't put up big numbers in terms of scoring, but his rebounding, uh, his defense was important. And Scott Williams, the same. And it was interesting that that this foul came early in this game six 
uh, against the Sixers. But Scott Williams ended up having 10 points uh, in the first quarter. And he was a huge part of the Bucks building an early lead before Ray Allen uh, eventually completely took over the game. Uh, and, you know, for Scott Williams, this was, this was, one of, this was potentially uh, his best uh, playoff game of, of that run. Game one against Orlando, he had 19 points and 16 rebounds in a game they won by 13 points. But in terms of, you know, the situation, and what the Bucks needed from him, he was hitting the mid-range jump shots, and he was also playing defense. He came up with a couple of steals early in this one that gave the Bucks the momentum. We know that they wanted to play uh, that fast tempo game. Sadly, the the reason that he was suspended for Game Seven uh, was the fact that he already had picked up a flagrant in in the series against Orlando, and then another flagrant in the series against Charlotte. So the three flagrants ultimately led to him being suspended for Game Seven. Uh, but th- there's no doubt. I mean, this was a huge blow for this team. He was he was a guy that anyone you speak to that was around that team says that he was huge for the locker room. Uh, he was one of the most popular guys in there, and one of the one of the real leaders of the team. You take him out for a do or die game on the road, it's tough to overcome. So I want to remind you guys about our friends at D1 Milwaukee, our very first local sponsor for Lockdown Bucks. D1 is the place for the athlete. You set the goal. We help you get there. All coaches are former D1 collegiate strength and conditioning coaches and athletes. They build science-based programs created specifically to improve athletic performance in a state-of-the-art facility. But given that times are a little bit uncertain right now, we want to move on to their summer camps that they have coming up for your kids. For 7 to 11-year-olds, they will focus on the fundamentals of athleticism. They will spend time each day developing running mechanics, working on balance and coordination, utilizing the fundamentals of movements. The coaches will create a fun, active environment for your young athlete to train in. And for 12 to 14-year-olds, they're going to give your athlete a competitive edge on their peers, focusing on linear speed and change of direction. Along with progressions in strength training, your athlete will develop extremely quickly with our coaches' expert instruction. In order to play with the best, you need to train with the best. A reminder that D1 is located in the Mech 1 Pavilions right off I-43. If you want to get more information, you can hit them up at d1training.com. Keep those summer camps in mind. D1 is the place for the athlete. You set the goal. We help you get there. It's also funny re-watching this now and just seeing where the league is now and thinking, well, if we took this Bucks team, first of all, of the two teams, this Bucks team translates to this era much better than that 76ers team. Hmm. Um, but if this was played now, I mean, Irvin Johnson is probably playing 10 minutes a game and he's coming off the bench where Tim Thomas would start at four and Scott Williams would be your starting center. Yeah, it was funny. This was one of the things we spoke about the other day. I mean, is Irvin Johnson playing at all? Probably not. I mean, you think about uh, the, the Bucks team now, if you can't shoot the three, you can't play. Uh, you know, that, that game six, though, Ray Allen is simply electric. And, and for anyone that hasn't watched this, recently or even if you have i'm sure i I tweeted about it today but uh, i i get goosebumps watching the the stretch from ray allen he scores 19 consecutive points spanning from the end of the first through the second quarter the bucks are just going crazy the bradley center is the the roof is about to blow off you got mike breen on the call Uh, he didn't give he didn't give out you know the regular bang uh back then but he gave out a, a bang on one of the ray allen threes uh he had 25 points in the first half he ended up with 41 points uh, on the night nine for 13 from three it was it was just incredible uh, just an incredible shooting display from him you felt anytime he touched the ball it was going to go down and 
you know, for me, I mean, everyone knows how much I love Ray Allen, but the, there's not uh, too many more beautiful things than watching his jump shot go down. Um, look, I've been on the wrong side of history for Ray Allen too. I mean, I started at the top saying Glenn Robinson was my guy and I was, uh, one of the few that I wasn't pulling for a Ray Allen trade, but when they traded him, I wasn't as broken up about it as as seemingly everybody else. Now, as the years would prove, I was wrong there. Um, I just felt like for, look, Ray Allen was great and he was an all-star, but when we think about Ray Allen now, we think about Number one, when he was traded and the run he went on with the Sonics where he became a level up from an all-star and then winning the championships with the Celtics, we saw that guy at times. But I don't think, you know, the individual performances we got from Ray Allen, we didn't see that as consistently when he was with the Bucks. Now, how much of that related to sharing with Sam Cassell and Glenn Robinson and, you know, what was clearly some um, behind-the-scenes tips there with George Carl, who knows? Um, but look, I was proven wrong on it, and that's still going to go down as one of the worst trades, not only in Bucks history, but in the state of Wisconsin's history. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just no disputing that. I mean, you look at the, what happened after that and, and how quickly the Bucks fell off. Uh, the interesting thing for me, you know, we've already spoke about the Scott Williams one, and I, I will say, and it was funny, I mentioned this the other day, but Scott Williams was... I was sort of tweeting with Giannis the other day, and I think Giannis said that was a flagrant in today's basketball or something along those lines. Uh, when you watch the replay, you know, I, I have to say, uh, in today's NBA, it probably, you know, there's probably a flagrant foul. They'll watch the replay and they'll call that, whether they would make it a flagrant two in a playoff game and, and have that sort of implication on the team, I'm not sure. But there was a couple of other interesting things. We know the rules have changed. We know the game has changed on multiple occasions uh, during this game. Uh, Alan Iverson was caught in the face. He was sort of hit in the face with uh, the first time it was Ray Allen using his off arm. And, and the second time, I think it was Lindsey Hunter. And, and Iverson would go flying, holding his face and, and really dramatic. Uh, I don't know if I call it a flop. I mean, he very clearly got hit in the face. And it was interesting to me watching that and see the officials not buy into that because uh, uh, we know these days, uh, a lot of these times, even if it's the innocuous contact, it's not necessarily... Uh, intentional, they'll blow the offensive foul call every single time. So this is the other just you know sort of interesting thing for me watching how they uh, have changed and how games are officiated uh, these days. But the the suspension for Scott Williams will go into Game Seven now. He was uh, the Bucks found this out. If you go back, you can find these stories from ESPN and all, all the other outlets that still have this. The Bucks were about to board the plane. Uh, from Mitchell to fly to Philadelphia for Game 7. And as they're boarding the plane, they find out that their starting four is suspended for Game 7. And uh, George Carl was on the record as saying that he didn't think that this would interrupt the team too much. Now, clearly, that's something you have to say. <laughs> I mean, you, have to, you, you can't give it up before you go into this do-or-die game. Uh, the Bucks ended up starting Darvin Ham in Game 7, who had really been a non-factor to this point in the series, had not played a lot. Uh, and it, it really didn't go too well. He only ended up playing eight minutes in this one. The, the Bucks were minus eight in that time. He had two points, two rebounds. Uh, but the Bucks, you know, in the end, really heavily lent on Tim Thomas. But this this was a game where the Sixers got on top early. And uh, you know, again, I mean, you think about disappointing Bucks games in the past. This one was uh, very difficult to watch and and, and disappointing. There, there wasn't a lot of hope here. Let's just say that they. Um... They got on top early. The Bucks still ended up 
winning the opening quarter. And really yeah. for the first half, it was still pretty close. Um, but it was the third quarter where the Sixers put the ten, and it seemed to just kind of hang there forever. And then they extended it even more. So I remember watching this game and um, what, what probably – it was right around the time – I was ready to give up on it because uh, the injury to Ray Allen and Ray Allen leaving in the – in for basically the entire second half, I was, you knew the Bucks were going to lose once Philly's re- lead reached what it did. Um, I was ready to turn it off. And then all of a sudden you hear Ray Allen's at the scorer's table. So I remember sticking <laughs> around for the final few minutes just to see that. But um, you know, that it, I've talked about it multiple times in the last two years, when you see a team up close that has certainly the talent and, you know, we think the chance to play for a championship, talking about it with Ted Davis about what was that like, you know, especially for a guy like Ted to cover the Bucks and the Mavericks when they were really bad. So you have decades of not only losing, but losing badly. And then you finally get to that point where you're at a game seven on the road and you think we have the talent to reach the finals and then see how close you can get only to see it just washed away. And he's, he's talked to us about, sitting at that scores table where they had him set up for the broadcast and seeing the confetti rain down and being handed a 76ers Eastern Conference champions hat by one of the guys that just runs on the floor and hands it out to all the players. And I think he still has that to this day. <laughs> that sort of makes me think of, of last year in Toronto. We were uh, sitting where we sat was sort of uh, on, on the corner uh, behind one of, one of the baskets there. And uh, the suites were, were right behind us. So as Toronto is wrapping up the series, the, this group of people just start spraying champagne everywhere, like over everyone, over our computers. Uh, we're sitting there in you know, what, our suits, whatever, working. Our computers are covered in champagne. And I remember uh, Michael Lee, who works for The Athletic, I mean, he was pissed. I mean, we were all pissed, but he was ready to jump up in the suite and, and start uh, you know, grabbing people. Like He was that pissed off. He was trying to work and his computer's just soaked with champagne. Uh, as someone that wanted the Bucks to win a game, uh, that was not, not ideal. But uh, you know, in this Game 7, again, the story of the Bucks season, really, and, and this squad in general, Glenn Robertson, 24 points, Sam Cassell, 20, Ray Allen uh, had 26. Uh, so, you know, outside of that, only one other player scores more than four points. It was Tim Thomas, who, as I said, uh, played a major role in this one. Uh, he had 11 points, 12 rebounds, played 35 minutes as the Bucs uh, were obviously missing Scott Williams and then, and then Darvin Hammond, he played eight minutes, as I mentioned. But down the other end, Alan Iverson, he was that guy. He had 44 points on 17 for 33 shooting. And Dikembe Mutombo, 23 points, 19 rebounds, 19 free throw attempts. Yeah. And I, I don't know if this is where we want to we want to get into this from this point. We know that people talk uh, about the fact that this this series was rigged and, and the NBA wanted the Sixers to be facing the Lakers. Uh, overall, for the series, the free throw differential was 186 uh, free throw attempts for the Sixers, 120 for the Bucks. The Bucks were assessed 12 technicals, Philadelphia three, and uh, three flagrants for the Bucks, and and zero for the Sixers. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the the numbers. Uh, the, the numbers tell the story. I think it, it also is worth noting. I mean, when you look at the rosters and, and the different guys there, the Sixers were a team that played on the inside a lot more than the Bucks. The Bucks were a jump shooting team. Uh, if you look at the numbers across the season, the Bucks were one of the, the lowest free throw attempt per game uh, teams and also one of the highest 
fouling teams per game. So, I mean, the numbers from that point of view stack up. But just in, the, in those key moments, you think of the suspension, you think about some of those calls in, in game five, it's, it, there's no doubt. It, it's really tough to swallow. Um, I, I remember looking this up, geez, about a month ago too. And, you know, the free throw discrepancy is what everybody always points to. But as you brought up, I mean, it's easy to point to it and um, say, well, Philadelphia got to the line much more than the Bucks did. But, that you know, that's just the makeup of the two teams. The only thing that uh, really stood out to me in the free throw discrepancy, and I, I don't have it in front of me now, but uh, Glenn Robinson yeah. didn't attempt a free throw in this series until I think it might have been game five. It was either game four or game five, I want to say. Yeah, it, it was game five, which, you know, again, uh, that in itself is, is hard to believe for a guy. Uh, he was a physical player, Glenn Robinson. He was always he was in there. He wasn't a guy that had huge free throw shooting numbers, but it's still very hard to, to wrap your head around the fact that he would go four whole games without a single free throw attempt. I mean, that's, if you want to point to something, it's that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, and these types of things over the course of a series uh, add up. And, and yeah, I think there's other moments. Uh, if you go back and watch, there were some moments towards the end of game one, some moments towards the end of game four. There was a suspect lane violation in there as well. I mean, there was multiple scenarios where you can certainly make a case to say that, that things were a little bit off in this series. And I know Ray Allen... Uh, after game five had a lot to say and that he sort of came out and, and, and just said it's in the NBA's best interest for Philadelphia to be uh, in, the, in the finals. It's all about money. And when you watch the game six broadcast uh, in Milwaukee, Bill Walton brings it up. Ray Allen misses a three and Bill Walton speaks about the yeah. fact that uh, maybe Ray Allen's like a little bit distracted and Mike Breen's saying, yeah, it was ridiculous what he said, totally out of character for Ray Allen. He can't be doing that. And then we know he ended up... Um, scoring 19 straight points directly after that conversation. But uh, this was certainly something that not only was spoken about in the media, but it was clear that it was on the Bucks' mind as well. Uh, Ray and George were very heavily fined after that series. Um, The game, game seven, that loss was the first time Sam Cassell ever lost an elimination game in his career. You know, I, I know I just said after game six in the fourth quarter, you got kind of doom and gloom of, you saw what Iverson did, but I still remember thinking the Bucks are still going to win this. And if you look at the, the differences between this and last year, last year it seemed like it was just kind of a slow submission where you're up 2-0 and then you lose the game in overtime and you think, okay, had you know this gone our way, uh, the Bucks easily could have won that. It's 3 to nothing, and the series is probably over. Then you lose game four and you think, all right, you still go back home and we're going to win there. Then when you lost game five, I think is when it finally hit everyone of, oh, this team's in trouble. And, you know, going into game six, I know Bucks fans will say they were confident they were, that the Bucks were going to win that. Um, I didn't feel a whole lot of confidence going into that. In 2001, I still thought, despite the suspension of Scott Williams, because, again, just looking at this Philadelphia team, and what I remembered most was what we said at the top, that this was really – for the most part, a one-man team. And Dikembe Batumbo certainly played a big role non-scoring-wise, but you think of the Sixers and you just think of everybody clear it out for Allen Iverson. And you know, oftentimes you can remember things differently, but re-watching this series, that's what stood out of. Holy crap, this really was just let's hope Iverson scores and Mutombo rebounds. Crazy to look back and, and see that team and, and think of that team as not only 
the team that went to the finals, but the team that had the best record in the East as well. But uh, look, I, I hope that this hasn't been too painful for you. Unfortunately for me, uh, my friends over at NBA.com, the Canada version, they have a Raptors podcast. And I was on there uh, this morning. We went through the Raptors Bucks series last year for about an hour and a half with a fine tooth comb going through every detail of that series. And now I've rolled straight into talking about this series with the Sixers. So I guess uh, I'm, I'm just punishing myself today. That's what it seems like. But I, you know, I, I think still plenty of good memories when you go back, like you said, the Charlotte series uh, was, was a lot of fun and stressful for sure for Bucks fans back in those times, but uh, an incredible run and, and not the, not the finish we wanted, but hopefully I haven't put you through too much here today. Well, I think the one thing we overlooked too is, um, it was somewhat surprising that that was our Eastern Conference Finals, not based off the seedings, but just going into the season that those were your top two teams in the Eastern Conference. Now, certainly, you know, if you followed the Bucks, you knew they were progressively getting better under George Carl and uh, two first-round exits against the Pacers. But in both of those series, they were swept the first time, uh, but all three of those games were very competitive. Then the year prior, they lost in five in the Travis Best game, where Travis Best hits the game winner, where the Bucks nearly, as of the eighth seed, knocked out the Pacers. So you felt like they would probably win the Central Division and they would be towards the top of the East. But you know, going into the season, nobody thought it would be the Sixers and Bucks. I think their title odds were around 14th or 15th in the NBA for each team. That in the Eastern Conference, it was the Knicks after that run they had. Uh, to the finals the previous year. The Pacers were still a very good team. And the one team that everybody was pointing to was the Orlando Magic because they had just signed Tracy McGrady and Grant Hill. And then, of course, the injury to Grant Hill happens. And we see, um, you know, the Pacers had some injuries. And I believe that's when Larry Bird departed as well, that uh, it just became the Eastern Conference belonged to those two teams. Yeah, and I think for that reason, as as this series ended and the Bucks went into the next season, I think that's why uh, there was probably so much optimism. It felt like uh, the big three had come together, even though uh, at the time, even it was it was well known that potentially there were some differences in the locker room. Some moves were made uh, that uh, you know, from as as you read and as everyone knows, uh, turned out to be. Uh, disastrous for the team with the with the, the trade for Mason, and then we know that it all fell apart from there with Glenn Robertson and Ray Allen. Uh, we've still got for the rest of this week uh, some guests coming up that are going to be able to go into that in a little more detail. I'm really excited about that. I'm not going to give anything away yet. We know, as I as I keep on saying, that the podcasts across the Locked On Network are still happening. Rejecting the screen with Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko is still one of the best podcasts on the network. Uh, they had Sean Marion. On the, on the show this week. So after you finish this one, if you want to check that one out, you can. And as I pointed to, we're going to keep rolling through with the content from 2001. Uh, go back, listen to them all, and uh, remember, not all the bad times, some of the good times as well, but Justin, I appreciate you taking my text this morning, asking what you remembered from this season and jumping on. Uh, but we'll be back tomorrow, like I said. So for Justin and myself, Kane Pittman, we'll speak to you guys then. 